0: Yet, not yet. Not yet. You know, um, when I was in school around uh, fourth or fifth grade, and I'm I'm sure by the time I got to middle school, they began to teach us uh, about diseases. And they began to teach us about the different types of diseases and they divided diseases into categories. One of the categories of diseases that they uh, taught us about was about communicable diseases. And these are diseases that can be contracted by coming in contact with somebody else. For example, common cold. Common cold is a communicable disease. You can catch a cold from somebody else. Or the flu is a communicable disease. You can catch the flu from somebody else. HIV is a communicable disease. It can be caught by contact with with somebody else. A love for fried chicken and and. And and collard greens and uh, candy gams and macaroni and cheese is a communicable disease. You you catch that, amen? From from somebody from somebody else. Well, those are physical diseases, but there are also spiritual diseases. There are diseases of the spirit, and the Bible defines the diseases of the spirit. It uses a word sin as to define diseases of the spirit. Negativity is a spiritual disease. You can catch that from another negative person. Jealousy is a spiritual disease. Hanging around jealous people will make you a jealous person. Pride is a sure enough killer. Amen. You know, the Bible says something about pride. It says pride comes Before a fall. Yes. And and so pride as cancer as cancer is to the physical body. So is pride to your spirit. Pride does a great deal of harm. Another spiritual disease is guilt. Guilt. Have you ever seen a person or have you ever had an experience in your life where you were carrying around a lot of extra weight, but the weight wasn't from fat, it wasn't from muscle, it was from fluid. Anybody ever had like known people who've been had a lot of fluid on their body? Well, and they f- you maybe feel bloated, your 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 joints may swell, but here it is: fluid, extra fluid in your body is an indicator that something is not right. Something is wrong. The presence of this extra fluid. Something is not working right. And guilt is like having fluid on the spirit. In other words, when a person feels guilty or is carrying around guilt or is burdened by guilt, it's an indicator that something in their spirit is right, is not right. Now, guilt is universal. All of us feel guilty at some time or another. A person who can hurt other people and who can do wrong and not feel any guilt or pain is what is sociologically defined as a psychopath. Amen. You are psychopathic. You need to call Dr. Phil. Amen. To help you, you need to get on Ilana is that how you say it? Iyana Van Zant Show. You need to make an appointment with her. Yeah, if, if you uh, have this kind of way you operate, you can mess over folk and feel nothing about it. You are sick and the uh, Holy Ghost ain't in you. Amen, <laughs> amen, amen. And so, guilt. all of us feel guilty sometimes, right? Now, I want to talk about uh, four reasons um, why... We are guilty. We can be guilty by participation. Somebody can tweet that. Guilty by participation. This simply means you actually did it. In other words, to, uh, to quote Bob Marley, I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy, but I did shoot the sheriff. The reason the sheriff had a funeral is because I shot the sheriff. I participated. I actually did it. You can also be guilty by association in other words um you were uh not the one who did it you didn't do it and um um, but association means you were uh with those who did do it but you did not do anything to stop those who were doing it from doing it in other words you did not shoot the sheriff you did not shoot the deputy but you were with the folks who pulled the trigger In other words, you didn't buy the weed, but you were in the car with the folks who copped it. Are you with me? And and, and so that's why parents always say you have to watch the company that you keep. Because even though you didn't do it, if you're with the folks who did do it, you can be guilty by association. And then you can be guilty by resignation resignation. In other words, we weren't there. We didn't do it. We didn't agree to it being done, but we were either too afraid or too apathetic to do anything about it. We concluded, well, this is just how things are. Uh, it's always been like this. It is what it is. There's nothing that I can do about it. In other words, there are many people who are guilty By resignation. In other words, there are people who are not going to vote and who are going to complain that the society and the neighborhood and the communities are are getting worse. But if they get worse, you are just as guilty, amen, because uh, you resigned yourself to the fact that you were not going to do anything about it. So you can be guilty by participation, guilty by association. Guilty by resignation and then I created another category that's called guilty by Ignoration. Yeah. Yeah. Guilty by ignorance. Now, here's Ignoration for you linguists comes from um, the English word ignorant. Ignant. Ignant. Yeah, yeah. ignorant, ignorant. It comes from and, and it means a lack of knowledge, not knowing and Guilt by ignorance is where we are wrong, but we don't even know that we're wrong. You ever met anybody like that? They're wrong, and they don't realize that what they're doing is wrong. And sometimes it's like this. We know, sometimes we know, we we don't know we're wrong, but we know something is not right. And we know that There must be something about something that I'm doing, but I don't know exactly what it is about what I'm doing that is wrong, but I know something has to be wrong because things are not working out right. And I know what right is, but things are not right. But I don't know what's causing the wrong, and that is called um, guilty by ignorance. I don't know why things are like this. Now, Zephaniah who is the uh, source of the message that we're sharing today. And if you can turn in your Bible to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah is one of the 12 uh, persons that are called minor prophets, and they're called minor prophets simply because the books are small, not because their messages are less important than the Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, but they're called minor prophets simply because their books are small. Now, the, the thing is about these minor prophets, um, and it's about 12, 12 of them, Zephaniah coming at the end of this group of uh, prophetic books in the Bible, is that they are, not, they are not read often. As a matter of fact, I doubt whether very often you get up in the morning to read the Bible, or you're in the middle of your day, and you say, well, you know, i like to find something that's really going to encourage me and help me I, Let me just read the book of Obadiah. Let me, let me find a verse in Obadiah. Most of us don't turn to these books for inspiration and for help. And yet, these books have a great deal that God is saying to us. Now, one of the things that Zephaniah is saying in the book When you read chapters 1 and chapters 2, he's saying that all of us are guilty. In other words, he's saying we're either guilty because we participated in it, we're guilty because we were associated with it, we're guilty because we resigned ourselves not to do anything to change it, or we're guilty because we just don't know how, uh, we don't know that what we're doing is contributing to the things that God is not pleased with. Now, these men, Zephaniah being one, preached and ministered and served during what's called the 8th century, about seven or 800 years before the birth of Christ. And that, that period of time is very similar to the 21st century in America, 21st century in America. In other words, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was marked by uh, the fact that immorality had become more dominant than morality. And you may not believe it today but in 21st century America the lines between morality and immorality are greatly blurred. In so much that we can hardly tell the difference between what is moral and what is immoral. In other words, in, in every Every area, whether it's television, whether it's literature, whether it's music, whether it's politics, whether it's family life, the the lines have become blurred. Secondly, another characteristic is that the economy was all messed up. The economy had petrified. There were no jobs and taxes were high. Money was going to fight wars. Another thing that was uh, similar to the 21st century was that the definition of family was being influenced by other cultures. This was within the people of God's community. Now, the Bible teaches us um, what a family is. Amen. The Bible says in Genesis that God uh, said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and said God created man in his image and in his likeness, and he created them male and female. Amen. And then in the second chapter, the writer goes on to say that God created man from the dust of the earth, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a human being. Following a man becoming uh, human being, God places him in the garden and gives him an assignment, gives him a job. And so it, it, it just says that there's a pattern that follows that uh, a, a man ought to have some means of supporting, amen, before he brings somebody in who's going to need some support. Y'all are so quiet on me, but I guess I just talked to myself. I mean, but, 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 but in other words, it's important that the man assume a leadership role in the family that God is placing him in. And so uh, God gave him, see, leadership is not defined just by position, but it's defined by the weight of the responsibility. And if you notice that God gave him serious responsibility before he ever gave him a wife. And so as he progressed and did okay in his responsibility and was doing well in his responsibility, God then said, it's not good that man should be alone. It is good for man to be alone if he's irresponsible. Yes. (laughs) If he can't do what he's supposed to do, if he can't handle what he's supposed to handle, it's good. Somebody needs to help me up here. It's good. No, don't mess up. Listen, if you can't handle your own life, please, 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 don't go buy some fake ring and fake somebody out, yeah, and mess up somebody else's life. It's not good for man to be alone. He's responsible. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And so what God does he puts the man to sleep he goes in he anesthetizes him he snatches a rib out takes that rib and forms it and he creates a woman man wakes up and he says that's what I'm talking about God I said God I've been waiting for you to move this Daniel's fast has not gone to waste this fasting and praying really does work that is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh that's something I can deal with God and so Uh, Then uh, he he takes the woman, and this is the beginning of what we know as family. But what was happening in the 8th century, family was being redefined, and it's being redefined now. But we must always first give our allegiance to the Word of God. This doesn't mean you discriminate against people. It doesn't mean that you treat people bad, but it means you take a stand on what you believe. I believe that the Bible teaches us what a family is all about. And so Israel in the 8th century, not only was family being redefined, not only was the economy messed up, no, not only um, was morality in decline, guess what? Israel was also um, 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 testing out other gods. In other words, they were trying to determine whether or not some other systems were just as effective as worshiping and serving God. Let me just say something. Sometimes when you serve God, it seems like serving God does not work. I guess I'm just talking to myself but I I know there are two or three people in here who have prayed some prayers to God and God did not seem to answer those prayers. I know there's some people in here that God has allowed some stuff to happen to you in your life. That doesn't seem like a God who loved me and cared for me and is watching over me and is standing with me would allow this to happen in our life. And there are times when it seems like serving God does not work. And so when that happens, you become vulnerable. The strength of your faith and the solidity of your faith becomes in question. In other words, if you can't stand when things are dark, don't you think, I mean, don't, don't you think when things get dark and rainy, you're going to be able to stand. Don't you think you're going to, when things get dark and the thunder is coming. In other words, if you can't stand in the dark, if it gets tough in the darkness you will begin to say, let me try something else. And so God's people had begun to try the gods of the Assyrians and the gods of the Canaanites and the gods of the Ammonites. In other words, they were test piloting some of these other gods. But don't you remember what God told them when he brought them out of Egypt? When he delivered them from slavery, when he got them out of the biggest hole that they had ever been in as a nation, when he took them out of Egyptian captivity and had them in a place of freedom, he told them, he said, listen, I am the Lord your God.
1: That brought you, look, I was the one that broke the chains that Pharaoh had on you. He said, he said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I didn't just deliver you in the land of Egypt, but I got you
0: out of that mess. I took you out of that uh, slavery. And he said, out of the house of bodies. And then he said this, you should have no other gods. I don't care how silent I get. I don't care how distant I seem. I don't care how Irish, a lack of responsive I am. Have no other gods except me. But they began to test pilot other gods. Now, when I was growing up, one of the things, and even now, one of the things in my life, I have never doubted. I've never doubted whether or not my mother loves me. Amen. Now, It doesn't matter what my mother has done or has not done. I've always been convinced that my mother loves me. But there were times in my life when she would love me and punish me at the same time. And she would even go into her closet, get her belt, and she would commence to giving me a good old-fashioned whipping. And while she was whipping me, she go into confessing, saying things like, it hurts me so bad. Tearing my little six-year-old behind up. It just hurts me so bad to have to do this. And then sometimes she even adds something extra to it. And she said, it hurts me more than it hurts you. My mother, though I've never questioned her love, she would discipline me and love me all at the same time. She would say, I love you, but you cannot go out to play. I love you, but you can't have any dessert after dinner. Anybody remember anything like that? I love you, but turn that television what? Yeah, y'all. Got some of them whippings too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what happened? Sometimes mom would kind of switch on us. And there were times when the indictment would become a sweeping indictment. In other words, there was one of us that had committed the infraction. One of us had done the wrong. One of us was guilty. As a matter of fact, the one would even confess that I'm the one, but mama would then say, I'm going to whip all y'all because he was the problem. Though we did not shoot the sheriff, we were guilty by association. Are you with me? Though, 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 though we, we, we did not shoot the sheriff and, 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 and though we did not shoot the deputy, some of us were guilty by resignation. We, tr- we didn't try to stop. In other words, all of us were guilty. Amen. And so that's what Zephaniah is saying. Everybody's guilty. Israel's guilty. Judah's guilty. Moab's guilty. Assyria is guilty. Ethiopia is guilty. The Ammonites are guilty. And you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like Romans chapter 3, verse 23, when the Apostle Paul says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That verse is just saying in another way that all of us are guilty. Now, what causes moral and spiritual decline? Let me share a couple of things with you. One, rebellion. Rebellion is knowing what is right, but choosing to do what is wrong. Number two, confusion. Confusion is the state of Eve in the garden. Eve was confused because of what the serpent said to her. Here is uh, what confusion is, is this? This is confusion. Confusion is when wrong sounds right, and right sounds wrong. That that that. that oh, let me see if I can do it lyrically. Luther Ingram. If loving you is right, I don't want to be wrong. If being right means being without you. Your mom and daddy say it's a shame. It's a downright disgrace. But long as I got you by my side, I don't care what your people say. Your friends tell me it's no future in loving a married man. But if I can't see you when I want you, I'll see you when I can If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. That's confusion. It's when you know what is right, but you opt for, and see, it gets even trickier than that. Because confusion is when wrong not only sounds right, but when wrong starts feeling right, and right starts feeling wrong. That's confusion. And then there's another thing that causes moral decline. It's called ignorance. You just don't know. You haven't been taught. You haven't ever seen a model of it. And, 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 and so um, um, uh, this is what was happening in Zephaniah's context. And so if chapters 1, chapters 2 talks about the fact that everybody is guilty. What's going on in the community? What's going on in society? Why it's happening? And then God steps in. With the final word at the end of chapter 3. And so, here's God's final word in summary. See if I can summarize it for you. Here it is. No matter how bad we mess up, God always offers. Somebody say offers. Offers his help. Zephaniah chapter 3. Let's look at this together. Number 1. God promised Israel that he would change their situation. As bad as it was, God promised them. Verse 15, let me read it. The Lord said, excuse me, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the king of Israel, is with you. And and, never again will you fear any harm. On the day they were... On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. God promised Israel that he would change the situation. I want you to write a word here to describe this. The word is restoration. Restoration. God is promising to restore them to their original condition. And this is the same promise that God has for each of us. Sometimes when we pray, we pray messed up. But I want you to know that God promises us that it is his plan, his intent to restore us. Do you know that you were not born judgmental? You were not born um, hypercritical. I read something this week that said persons who are hypercritical also tend to be hypocritical. But you weren't born hypercritical. You weren't born lazy. Guess what else? You weren't born confused. You were not born afraid. When you came out of your mother's womb, you weren't born afraid. You were born courageous. You were born curious. As a matter of fact, you did not know fear. You learned that from someone. And so what God is saying is that he is going to restore you back. To how he originally created you. You know what the Bible says about you? It says that you were fearfully which means skillfully and wonderfully made. In other words, you are somebody in your original state and what God is saying here is that he's going to restore you back to your original design. In other words, your courage is coming back. Your peace is coming back. Your curiosity is coming back. God's going to give it back to you. Amen. Number two, God promises or promised to be with us. Verse 17 and 18. It says the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I just got happy when I saw that verse. He will rejoice over you with singing because my frame of reference with God is always that we're singing to him. But God's saying, listen, you're not the only one that can sing in the key of G. <laughs> he said, you ain't the only one that knows some songs. He said, when I see you Coming into my presence, he said, "I'm going to strike up a tune just to let folks know how I feel about you." And, and and then he says, "The sorrows of your appointed feast I will remove from you, and they are a burden and a reproach to you." In other words, he says, "The sorrow of your appointed feast." What he's saying here is that when you have the guilt of sin in your life even when you come to church that's a burden to you. y'all not follow me you can be in church and be just as down as you can be everybody else is praising God and giving God thanks you know the scriptures that say oh give thanks unto the Lord you know the scriptures that say in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you but in your spirit you are as far down as you can be there's no joy in you in the presence of God there is no peace in you your praise is is imitated and synthetic praise but what God is saying when you come into my house I'm gonna take that heaviness
1: off of you so that you can give me an authentic praise in the midst of your authentic situation what you're going through is not fake what's happening to you is not imagination but I'm gonna take the burden of it off you so that as you go through it it'll be just like you have no burden on you at all folks won't be able to look at you and know that you're going through a trial folks won't be able to listen to you and know that you have a hard time because I have removed the burden from you somebody in here should have shouted on that because somebody here has been through that you've been going through the weight of the world is on your shoulder but you still have joy in your heart you still have some strength in your life as a matter of fact, you're just standing on the promises made that weight. On the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not get weary. Even in the midst of it, I will walk and I will not faint. He promised. You need to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, he promised you.
0: That he'd be with you. Now how is he with you? This is called. Write this word down. The incarnation. The incarnation. The fact that God. Is with us. The first. uh, uh, Way that God is with us in scripture. Is the fact that Jesus. Is God. And he became a man. Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen? So, anybody that asks you, well, who is Jesus Christ? Uh, How do we understand Jesus is God who manifested himself in human flesh? And this is revealed to us uh, clearly in John's gospel where it begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. There was a man sent from God. He was a man, but he was sent from God. And his name was John. You got to notice that he was a man. But he was sent from God. He wasn't perfect. He was a man. Who was sent from God. That's just to say that every man that is sent from God is a man, but he's still sent from God. If you're looking for the man who was sent from God to be a perfect man, well, you're not going to ever find that. Whoever, whoever God uses is going to have some flaws in him, going to have some cracks in him. He's going to be a man. But what distinguished John from the other folks is that he was sent from God. But then there was a distinction. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And then he goes on, keeps talking, keeps talking, and then he gets to verse 14. And then he says, and the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, when it says we beheld his glory, that just means that we noticed that there was something different about him Than us, he walked like us, he talked like us, he slept like us, he perspired like us, he got hungry like us, he got
1: frustrated like us. But in all of that, we noticed that there was something
0: different about him, there was a glory on him because he was God in the flesh. That's incarnation, God with us, God in the flesh. But then there's another manifestation of incarnation. Uh, in addition to Jesus, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and if I go away, I'm going to talk to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father to send to you his Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit would be with us. But then Jesus took it a whole nother level and said he's not only going to be with you, but he's also going to be in you. Now, let me say this just to the believers, those of you who have accepted Christ and those of you who may be thinking about accepting Christ, let me tell you what happens. When you accept Christ as your savior, then God uh, brings you into his family and God is always with you. But then what God does, he upgrades this relationship with us and he not only is with us, but then God allows his Holy Spirit to be in us. And so, this is one of the wonderful things about salvation is that no matter how far you may stray away from God you cannot stray away from God it's p- impossible to stray away from God only thing it's possible to do is possible to disobey him it's possible to rebel but you can't stray away because everywhere you go God is with you how did he get here you took him
1: there he's on the inside of you if you get on a plane and you buy a ticket your tickets gonna have to accommodate two folks He buying a ticket for you and a ticket for the Holy Spirit if you go on vacation. Guess what? Two folks are going on vacation. You going on vacation and the Holy Ghost is going on vacation. If you decide to sin while you're on vacation, one of you might be happy with the situation, but another is going to be messed up. You will grieve the Holy Spirit because wherever you are, God is there with you because he is in you.
0: He's in you and so that's incarnation and so God has promised us he's going to fix this and one of the things he's going to do he's going to be in a third. He promised to remove our sorrow. This term is deliverance. Verse 19 at that time look at this. I will deal with all who oppress you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered and I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have been put to shame. I want to read this again. God says at that time I will deal with all who oppress you. When you have messed up you always inherit a cheerleading squad that won't cheer for you but will cheer against you. I wish I had some help. Anytime you mess up, there's going to be a crew that's going to be attracted to you. That's not going to do anything but bring up the subject, the context, the time, the,
1: the, 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 the consequences of your failure. But. God is saying something to us God is saying I want you to focus your energy and focus your attention not on those who are trying to bring up dirt on you. I don't want you to give your time and attention to those so-called haters. I don't want you to sweat it. I don't want you to be frustrated. I don't want you to be down in the dumps. I don't want you to get stagnant. I don't want you to get discouraged because he's saying right here I I will deal with all those who oppress you. Can I, can I tell you something right now? Don't you chase those oppressors away. Don't you try to run them off. Don't you try to pray against them. Say, God, I know you'll give me strength. God, I know you'll give me power. God, I know you'll keep me. You know what David said? David said, I hung around God long enough... That he prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. I wish I had some help. In other words, you want your enemy to hang around long enough that God can show him how he'll bless you for being faithful. Hallelujah. He prepared it. In the presence. What you do when when God blesses you like that. You invite
0: your enemy. Come on over. (laughs) And look at what the Lord has done. God says I'll deal with it. You serve me.
1: You be faithful to me. You do what I've told you to do. You be committed. You give me your time. You give me your talent. You give me your treasure. You give me your energy. And I'll bless you in spite of anything.
0: That's what he promised. I'll deal with it. And so you want to turn it over to God. He'll deliver you from those who would oppress you. And then the final thing, God says, he promised to bring us home. It says, at that time, look at this, I will gather you. And at that time, I will bring you home. Look at this. And I will, look at this, I will give you honor and praise amongst all the peoples of the earth. And look at this next part. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, saith the Lord. The Lord says, I will bring you home. I want you to watch this video clip to see if it will illustrate for us what it means for God to bring us home.
1: I see on the admission that we're Michael's contact for medical emergencies. Sean wrote that in last week. We needed a contact number and the ones listed weren't in service. I love that man. What's this? The state makes schools measure for career aptitude in the eighth grade, and this just came with his file. What's it say about Michael? Spatial relations, third percentile. Ability to learn, fifth percentile. It's funny, though. He tested in the 98th percentile in one category. Which one? Protective instincts. So, over here you have a desk, a chest of drawers, you have a nightstand, a light, an alarm. Oh, and Sean says all the pro athletes use futons if they can't find a bed big enough, so I got you one of those. Of course, the frame was heinous. I was not about to let that in my house, but I got you something nicer. It's mine? Yes, sir. What?
0: Never had one before.
1: What, a room to yourself?
0: A bet. Well, you have one now.
1: Okay,
0: define osmosis. I think I know that one. Amen. In the Bible, it says that when we go to heaven, there will be no more pain, no more crying, and no more technical difficulties. or the former things have passed away. <laughs> well, hallelujah. Many of you have already seen this movie, The Blind Side. It's about professional football player Michael Orr who was living a life of homelessness. The lady is there, Sandra Bullock, is portraying the character of a lady who adopted him. And so the interesting thing about it, God says he would bring us home. If you notice, he didn't seek her out, but she sought him. And that's how God deals with this. You you don't have to. You may not have your mind on God, but he has his mind on you. And he's looking for you. When he sees you in your situation and in your condition, he doesn't pass by you like everybody else. He stops. He stops. And he asks himself the question again, what else can I do to convince them of how much I love him? Then what he does, he brings us home. When he brings us home, just like the young man Michael in, 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 this, in this film, he begins to see that there are other ways to live other than how he has lived before. You see, sometimes we live a certain way because that's all we know. Never been exposed to anything else. We've never seen anybody live any differently. But here God uh, will begin, once we come home, he'll begin to show us that there are other ways that we can live. He offers us, offers us uh, a different type of lifestyle. So much so that the writer of Second Corinthians says s- describes it like this. He says, if any person is in Christ, He's a new creature. And then he says this, old things are passing away. And behold, he said, watch it. That's what that behold means. Watch it. All things are becoming new or different. And then notice something else that happened. Before it cut off, they were sitting down at the table and and somebody was showing the results of the assessment of uh, the young man, Michael. Now, this is one of the things that the devil does. He always accuses you of being something other than who you really are. And if he can get you to believe that you really are someone other than who you really are, he can move on from you. And what he'll have you so messed up in your mind, you'll be rebuking the devil. You'll be anointing stuff. And the devil hadn't even visited your address in about 20 years because when he was there 20 years ago, he did such a good job convincing you that you are not who you are. You see, if you know who you are, the devil has no power over your life. Why? Why? Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ did Needed, I wish I had some help, all the works of the devil. But if he can convince you that he has power
1: over your life, you will blame stuff on him that he ain't even have nothing to do with. You will think your life is all in turmoil when all you have to do is use the power that God has given to you to walk in the power
0: of the anointing of a child of God. Yeah, notice, notice, notice. The, the, the accuser said, well, he, he, he's, he's messed up. He, he, he doesn't do well in this and he doesn't do well in that. And then all of a sudden he said, but he scored in the 98th percentile. Now, you see, your enemies always point out your weaknesses. God always points out your strengths. Yeah. God knows you have a hot temper. God knows that you're covetous God knows that you're jealous He knows you have some weaknesses but God also knows that, that that you have a powerful gift of speaking. God knows that you have the courage to witness.
1: God knows that you have a generous spirit God knows where your strengths are and when she heard his strength she didn't pay any attention to his weaknesses she said let me strengthen him in the area of his strength because if you're strong where you're strong. God will take care of
0: you in your weakness. Yeah. Yeah, And the other thing that happened, if you notice, she told him, you know, this is where you sleep, your bed. I fixed it up. And he said, I never had one of these before. And she said, what are you talking about? You never had your own room? He said, no, I've never had a bed. And what this is saying to us is that God is going to give you some stuff that you never had before. As a matter of fact, you've seen other people and you've asked, why don't I have? Why don't I have courage? Why don't I have peace? Why don't I have strength? Why are my finances raggedy? Why don't I have someone to love me? But it, it, but, but it, says, that, but it says that God's going to give you what you've never had before. And then another thing about it, you notice he was walking down the hall. And they asked him some questions. Started, you know, what does this mean? He began to tell him. What, who was Napoleon? Well, Napoleon was the short guy fought against uh, war, and he fought the Russians and they corrected him, said, No, it was the Prussians. But what God is going to do he 's going to begin to teach you some new things can i get Can I get some help now here 's the thing you 're going to be sometimes mixing up the Russians with the Prussians. Your way of explaining it is not always going to be textbook, but and somebody 's going to talk about what you don't know but see they're not mesh they're measuring you where you are but God measures from where you came. <laughs> I wish I. Had. You see, sometimes all we can do is criticize where a person is. But if you could see where the person came from, you would say, "Well, don't make no difference whether you call them Russians or Prussians or whatever." If you have been
1: through all of what you've been through to get to where you are, I know that God has been doing something in your life. In other words, God is going to teach you some new stuff. Where well, you may not sound like the. You may not pray like some 30-year-old deacon. Your prayer may be two sentences and an amen, but God will give you power, strength and authenticity in that what you do. As a matter of fact, God will honor
0: your heart. Then finally, this is the scene you didn't see. The final scene is when he comes into the cafeteria. He sits next to his little adopted brother. He's carrying his tray of food. It's loaded with food. God is blessing him. You can see the blessing. Words, you can now see the blessing on his life. He, he's not like he was when he was home. a shirt looks different. Clothes look different. His tray is full of food. Sits next to his adopted brother. His adopted brother looks over and teases him. He says, stop wearing these rugby shirts. You look like a big bumblebee. Now, to the immature person, that sounds like an insult but to the mature person that sounds like little brother playing around with big brother in other words now his family recognizes who he is in other words other people will begin to see who you really are and who God has created you to be it will be evident that God's hand is on your life. Come on, stand up with me if you will. Hallelujah.